uh, we're in our series uh, studying the book of Revelation, and uh, it's called Live Ready. And so this is week four. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Revelation chapter one. Um, that's the one in the back. If you hit the maps uh, or lists, you've gone too far, take a left. Um, Last week we said you will either meet Jesus as loving rescuer or as righteous judge. Let's meet him now. Uh, We'll unpack it as we go. We're going to pick it up in verse 9. So let's do that. Um, Here we go. I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom... (coughs) excuse me, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. Okay, stop there. (coughs) Excuse me. Here, John lists three things, three things that are part of following Jesus. And just so that we don't have like a bait and switch, just so we don't get wrong expectations, here's what he's saying is part and parcel of following Jesus. Tribulation, the kingdom, and patient endurance. Come to Jesus, you'll have one, tribulation, two, the kingdom, three, patient endurance. You're saying, hold the phone, Joel Osteen. You mean if I come to Jesus, my kid's teeth won't be necessarily straight. I won't always get that front corner spot parking at the city market. Uh, I won't uh, have my credit card debt magically disappear. And I will not necessarily have a dandelion free lawn. Yep, that's right. That's right. Um, You will very quickly have one tribulation. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, truth in advertising here, you will have tribulation. You are a heavenly being as a follower of Jesus Christ living in a fallen world. That fallen world has in it tragedy, pain, suffering, uh, loneliness, conflict, people who will reject you, spiritual forces that will oppose you because you follow Jesus. Now, don't get this wrong. We do not look down on the world. We do not look down on people. We look out and love them. Okay, so get this straight. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we live in enemy-occupied territory, and it's not all going to be Disneyland, haagen and Frisbee Golf. It's just not. But we love people, and we're engaged in a rescue mission for their souls with him, and so the trouble and the tribulation are a thousand percent worth it. And we could go through it all, all the tribulation, all the good stuff, all the tough stuff with joy and peace and confidence because Jesus and his number two kingdom. If you belong to Jesus, you live in his kingdom and in his kingdom lives in you. And get this, your citizenship passport to his kingdom is protected by King Jesus. So you are not only in, but you are secure. And life in the kingdom of God is glorious. It's victorious. It's sacrificial. It's loving. It's beautiful. But for now, we only have a gradually growing taste of this beautiful kingdom as we press into Jesus more and more each day. And it will only be completely fulfilled when Jesus comes back to make everything new again. So what we do in the meantime, we are citizens of the kingdom, living in the kingdom of darkness, running rescue missions for those who haven't yet changed 
allegiances, uh, to get home with joy and faith, and to move through the kingdom uh, the tribulation and into the kingdom fully, we're going to need the third thing, patient endurance. Patient endurance. Now, this is a theme that we're going to see throughout the book of Revelation, throughout it. Patient endurance. It's so important. Um, why do we need patient endurance? Because Jesus' recipe for redemption is to be cooked in the crock pot and not the microwave. Following Jesus, this life that we talk about is an ultra marathon, not a 50-yard dash. So we need patient endurance. We need not give up. We must help each other, remind each other, encourage one another, inspire one another. Hang on, hang on, hang on, no matter how dark it gets. Do, don't you give up because Jesus is with you. We are with you. His promise is sure. Your fate is secure. He is on his throne. He loves you. He's getting close to saying, enough, I'm coming back. Hang on, hang on, hang on with patient endurance. Not impatient endurance because then you can't have peace. Run and keep running. Hold on. And keep on holding on. It's going to be great and it's going to be tough. But in the end, it's glorious. Okay? So those who come to Jesus to have everything fall into place in their circumstances are going to be very disappointed. Everything falls into place in your heart. And he begins to change your heart. But in one sense, it becomes more difficult. Because you're living in a world that doesn't operate by grace, that doesn't operate in love, that doesn't operate in worship to him. And you're to, you're to love that world more, not less. Okay, and we get that twisted and so cause more tribulation than even he intends. But that's another message. We're going to continue with verse 9. Here we go. It's from John. And he says, I was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Okay, John is in solitary confinement, essentially on a lonely island of Patmos in modern-day Turkey because he is living for and talking about preaching Jesus Christ. So he knows what he's talking about when he says, hang on. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, Sunday, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Okay, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, on Sunday. John was doing that. Now I could do a bit about how John wasn't hunting, John wasn't fishing, John wasn't up at the butte, John wasn't sleeping in on Sunday, but I won't do that because that would be a guilt trip and I would never, ever do that to you. Verse 11. Take it for any way you want. Saying, Jesus saying, write what you see in a book. And send it to the seven churches in Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea, parenthetical statement, and to Gunnison. The church in Gunnison, we, we covered that two weeks ago. This is for us, so we need to wake up and look at that. What is John hearing? Whose voice is he hearing? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And then it goes into 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, what are seven golden lampstands? Are they like uh, bedside tables? No. 
A lampstand was a fixture in the ancient temple that would lift up an oil lamp so that the lamp could shine its light to the darkest places of the room. It could light up the whole room. Does it sound a little bit like what Jesus has called us to do? That's what the lampstand is. Um, The lampstand is shining lights for Jesus in the midst of the dark world. In verse 20, Jesus will explain what the seven lampstands are and and the seven churches. Bethany, all of us, all believers here, are to lift high the light of Jesus so others trapped in darkness can see the light. And look at this, verse 13, here it is. And in, get this, in the midst... He's saying that the lampstands are the churches. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. How awesome is that? Now, all these images that we see come from the Old Testament. They are to show that Jesus is eternal. So I'll be giving some references. One like the son of man is directly from Daniel chapter 7. It is the title for Jesus that Jesus loved the best. One like the son of man. He became like we are so that we might become like he is. That is exciting. Um, He identifies with us. He is our savior and rescuer. And where is Jesus? If the lampstands represent the churches, he is in the midst of the lampstands. That means that he is in the midst, smack dab in the middle of the churches right here, right now, ministering to, strengthening, blessing, revealing himself, protecting you. Ministering to you, pouring into you, In the churches, God is not watching us from a distance. Jesus is right here, right now, not an absentee landlord, but the Lord of lords who is interested in and involved in the details of his people's lives. We see a picture of Jesus as he looks right now, and it continues on. Verse uh, verse 13, rather, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. Now the long robe, we see that. We're going we're gonna to continue on. I'm just going to go through that section. And we'll take a look at that as, as kind of a block. Okay, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. Here's how John describes it, verse 14. The hairs of his head were white, like white gold, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Okay, like, 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 like. Now, John is doing one of two things. Either John is writing like a 12-year-old girl talks, like... I don't, I like you, but I don't like like you. And so he was like, I just broke up with you on Facebook. And I'm all like, no, you didn't. And he's all like, yes, I did. <laughs> now, either John is doing that or the revelation, the picture of the fully glorified Jesus Christ without disguise is so overwhelming, so indescribable that the highest human language simply breaks down. 
it doesn't do it justice. That is what's happening. So what we're seeing here is, is not to picture Jesus as all these things literally. This is symbolic and metaphoric because it's the best way that he can grab a handle that we can, that we can hold on to. Describe a double rainbow in the Gunnison country without diminishing it. Far easier than describing the glory of Jesus Christ. And so John is giving us word pictures. And so we go back and we look at what those are. Here we go in 13. He had a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. This is the robe of the high priest that we see from um, Exodus 28 and 39. The sashes across his chest were worn by dignitaries and rulers because the working class would wear the sash around their waist to tuck their tunics in to do work. But Jesus is wearing it across his chest because the work is done. He came for you, lived for you, died for you, on the cross, rose for you. It is finished. The work is done. You don't have to to work to gain God's approval. He has already done so. So he is our high priest. The sash is around his chest. It is finished. 14, the hairs of his head. How about that? Were white, like white wool, like snow. Jesus does not need to buy a bottle of Just For Men gel. The white hair, the blazing, brilliant white, looks like Daniel. Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 9, when he describes the Ancient of Days, God the Father. Jesus looks, the Son looks like the Father. He is, as Colossians 1.15 says, the image of the invisible God. The br- dazzling whiteness is his brilliant, perfect wisdom, ultimate respect due to him. It continues, his eyes were like a flame of fire. Again, that appears in Daniel 10.6, if you want to look that up on your own time. This is Jesus' x-ray vision, if you will. He sees deep. He sees underneath. He sees through the heart. He sees what that creepy security airport guy with the x-ray machine will never see. Underneath the veneer, underneath all the things that we put up to make people think that we're doing better than we're actually doing. Jesus sees it all, and he loves you in spite of that. He loves what he sees there, and he wants to change us. By changing our hearts, he will either, as he said last week, depending on our choice, to either run to him um, as loving rescuer or run from him as righteous judge, he will either forgive you and set you free or fiercely judge you because of his righteousness. Verse 15. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. How's that for a radical pedicure? Now, that metal would have been used in this time and understood by the original readers as being used in two ways. One for military purposes and the other for minting coins. Now, feet in ancient times were also used to indicate... um, the direction of a person's life. So Jesus' feet looking like purified, polished bronze. So his strength and glory, his victorious 
warrior status and the priceless gift of salvation. That's what it's talking about. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Can you picture that? This comes from Ezekiel's description of Yahweh in chapters 1 and 43. Jesus' voice is like many waters. Can you picture the power of the tides, the strength of the oceans as the mighty waves crash into the beach? Or if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, the overwhelming strength of tons and tons and thousands upon thousands of gallons per second crashing down. That is like his voice, and it is pounding on some of your hearts, calling to you for the first time, come to me. For many times, come back to me. It is doing that, not my voice to your ears, but Jesus' powerful voice to your hearts, come to me. Does your life feel like you are swimming against the current? like you are swimming against the current. Exhausting, but you look up and you just haven't moved. You haven't moved. And maybe that's because you're swimming against the force, the mighty current of God's voice. Like many waters which are not meant to oppose you, but to carry you into life, into freedom, into joy. You know, if you're in a strong current, you need not exert yourself to exhaustion. You just pick up your feet and stop resisting, and you're carried to where the current goes. His voice is is like many waters. Don't swim against it. Yield to it. He's not trying to sweep you off course, but on course. Here we go. Verse 16, we're going we're gonna to finish with this image of Jesus and then ask, what do we do with it? How does it affect where I am and what I'm doing right now? Only with everything, okay? 16, in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Now, he is going to talk to us in verse 20 about what those seven stars are. So we'll, we'll look at that in a moment. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Now, this sword is the Word of God, the Bible. Isaiah 11, Ephesians 6, Hebrews 4. If you have any doubt, look there. It's there again and again and again. Jesus is, as John 1.14 says, the Word made flesh. So, out of his mouth comes this long sword of the Word of God, out of these pages, even right now, it cuts through us to the deepest parts, Hebrews 4 says, and opens us up to heart surgery on those who hear it. Submit. Submit to the scalpel of God's Word this morning and every day, and He will do a heart transplant on me and you, His heart for our heart, the heart of God for the heart of stone. And that's exactly what we need. This is God's word. Live by his word. Make it your food. Make it your drink. Be desperate for it, for it will lead you into life, into joy, into freedom, into obedience. It has wisdom. It has everything that you need. 
He will pour it into you for life, for joy, for victory, and we ignore it at our own peril because the same one that will cut us to life and, and transform us with a heart transplant, if we ignore it, will cut us to pieces, pieces, which is not what he wants. Here's an exciting part, verse 16. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. Say, I need more sun. I need to get some sun. I need to get some S-O-N. Yes, you do. I look forward to the day, you may say, when I am in his presence at the end of my life so that I can be filled and covered and bask in the glory of his face that is like the sun shining in full strength. Don't wait. It was never his intention for us to wait, to feel, to bask in, to be enlivened by. Basking in the sun of his radiance, of his countenance. Do it right now. Do it right now. Continually do it. In that, find revival, find refreshment, find joy, find change in perspective. You can. It's for you. You know, if we were to have a, let's just, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 17, and, and and then we'll move on. When I saw him, when I saw him with all of this and his sun shining, at full strength in his face, I fell, John writes, at his feet, although dead. As, the, as though dead. John sees Jesus, hits the pavement. He is floored. He goes down on his face. That's how John reacted to seeing Jesus. You remember John? John was Jesus, BFFFFFFFF, right? Every picture of the last supper you've ever seen, whether by the classic masters or on velvet in some cheesy store, has John with his head on Jesus' shoulder or his chest reclining next to him. He was Jesus' best friend of all the people who would be intimately familiar of, with Jesus and the details of his face, of his personality, of his character. John would have had it, Right? How well do you know your best friend? Hopefully, you know, if you're married, it's your wife, your husband. How well, when John sees Jesus without disguise, he hits the deck. If that's true for John, how much more for us if we were to really see Jesus? Jesus is not a homeless, meek and mild, first century construction worker guy who was just a wise teacher. He is the mighty, awesome be a hardcore, no-holds-barred king of kings, rescuing savior, victorious warrior, king of kings, lord of lords, who could swash us like the bugs we are and deserve, but does not because he loves the bugs. Thank God. Thank God. You know, it's not hard for us to imagine wimpy Jesus, effeminate Jesus, hair-feathered-back Jesus loving me. But what about the God of all creation? What about that? What about him? Yeah. Him loving me? That's pretty amazing. Who, if we were to see him right now, 
we'd require those defibrillators, you know, those heart shocker things. Clear! For the love of all that's holy, she's been dead for 15 minutes. Clear! You know, we'd need that. And probably a change of pants. That is the glory, the awesomeness of Jesus without disguise. As he is right now. And when we know that and we see that, we see how far that he stooped down, humbled himself, put skin on, born in a no-name, backwater town like sergeants. That's like Bethlehem, you know? Can anything good come out of that? Not knocking that. He lived life for you, for me. He was rejected. He let men that he created beat him, spit on him, nail him to a Roman cross for you, for me, and rose again for our new life. That is the Jesus who left his throne in glory to come down to return and call us to him there. He came to where we are so that we might go to where he is. He became as we are, that we might become as he is. And that invitation is for you. And if that does not rock your world, nothing will. Skip down to verse 20. Here Jesus tells us about the stars. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So this letter is to the seven churches. The seven stars, the right hand, um, so the fact that he's holding them in the right hand shows um, power, shows control, shows favor, okay, in the right hand. Now the seven stars, get this, are the angels of the seven churches. Now there is some disagreement among commentators, among pastors, as to what these seven stars really mean what what the angels are. Some believe them to be the leaders, the pastors of these churches. And he uses the word angels. Now, since I was not ever called even my mother's little angel, and the word angel, as it is used in this book metaphorically, always refers to created heavenly beings who ministry, the ministering spirits in God's presence who do his will. What I believe this is saying is these are actual angels that belong to the seven churches. That would mean that there are angels assigned to churches to protect and guide them. That would mean there is an angel of Bethany here right now. In fact, if we looked at the entirety of Scripture, angels are active. Angels are Multiple cities. They are numerous in number. There may be more angels in this room than there are people, if we believe the Bible. And there may very well be an angel over the church of Bethany. Believe me, the spiritual realm, the unseen realm, is more real than the physical realm. And this comes to bear in just a moment. And if we grasp a hold of that, if we focus on that, if we walk in faith on that, it will transform every area, every circumstance, every relationship, everything in our lives. Let's go back to verse 16 if we could, Shelby. See, if you volunteer and you sign the thing for Josh, you, you get to try to follow me on the projections. And Jesus' face was like the sun shining in 
full strength. And as we said, that is not just for John, not just for that time. That is for us to be consumed by, to bask in. How much of you like to lay out spiritually? Lay out now. Lay out all your life. You will be filled not just with vitamin D and a wicked tan. You will be filled with all of Jesus and consumed by him as his face was like the sun shining in full strength All the glory of the most powerful being in all creation shining for you, on you, in you. Let the radiance of Jesus' face shine down on you right now and be changed by it. Let me plead with you. Say a prayer right now. You're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, or you're on the fence, you're just checking him out. It does not matter. If you're brave enough, do this silently. Nobody will know if you do or you don't. Just pray, Lord, let the glory of your countenance, of your face, of your character shine down on me, on my heart. Change me by it. Change me. Let me focus on it. Let me drink it in. Please, Lord, do that. If you have prayed that, if you will do this, not just now, but throughout your, it will transform everything. It will change everything. The truth that will transform every area of your life and take you to heights of joy and forgiveness and life and purpose that you never knew existed all has to do with what you focus on. The application, the practical application. Okay, we see all of these visions. We see all this stuff John has described. We see all the things. What, what difference does it make, Tom? What difference is, okay, God's there. I'm, here's what difference it makes. That is for you. Colossians, Colossians 3, the first two verses. Here it is, the practical application. Okay? Here it is. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. All the things we just talked about. Why? Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on that, on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. When your mind, when your heart is set on the very thing you are struggling against, on the very thing that opposes you, on the very relationship that will not work, on the very bank account that is crushing you, on the very job that kills your soul every day when you go to it. If you focus on that trial, on that struggle, you will go down. And Jesus does not want that. He wants to set our minds on things that are above where Christ is. And when we do that, we open ourselves up. We lay out, if, we, if you will, in the face of God whose countenance shines like the full strength of the sun. And that can happen in the midst of everything you're going through right now. Everything you're going on right now. So what we're going to do before I say goodbye, and God bless you, is see how we should do it, why we should do it, how it's going to transform us. Look at it. Jesus, if we, if we are not doing that, if we are not doing that, then our Jesus is too small. 
or Jesus is too small, when Jesus, in fact, is big enough to carry us through life in this broken world, like John talked about in the very beginning, through the tribulation, with the patient endurance, into the kingdom more fully every day. Jesus is big enough, strong enough to carry you. Jesus is bigger than your problems. Jesus is bigger than your tribulations. Jesus is bigger than the struggles. Jesus is bigger than your mountain. As it's been said, we have to stop telling Jesus how big our mountain is and start telling our mountain how big our Jesus is. And that happens when we set our minds, when we set our hearts on things that are above, on the reality of his power and his love and his glory and his mercy for you right here, right now, until you're home. And then it's only getting started. I want to fill you with hope because this is what we need. The things that are on these pages that are about to take place in the book of Revelation that are unfolding in our newspapers, that are unfolding in your life, we are not ready for unless we are focused on with our hearts set on a mind set on the glory of Christ and his strength and his ability to get through. Not just endure, endure patiently with joy. We're not ready for it otherwise. This whole Jesus that you're following, he's leading the way. Nothing he leads you to is impossible because Jesus is blazing the trail ahead of you. He is making a way where there seems to be no way. The Old Testament says he's making a path in the wilderness. He is sending rivers in the desert. God will make a way. He is leading. Nothing he calls you to is impossible because he's leading you through it. Jesus is the quarterback. Jesus just called a running play for you. He takes a snap. He gives you the ball. Are you going to make it? Yes, because he's blocking. He's blocking. You could go all the way. You know, my son is huge. He's not Jesus. Don't get me wrong. You know, some pastors talk about their kids like the second coming. Not me. But one thing is true. One thing, he's a big boy. Six, five, 300 pounds. If I could plank, like, isn't that like the rage now? Planking? You, you, you lay flat over things? If I was strong enough to do that, he could, like, military press me for warm-ups. People treat me different when I walk behind him. Nicer. They get out of the way. You're running behind Jesus. Are you going to make it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Focus on that. This is the Jesus that you can count on, ultimately trust and rely on. Throw the entire weight of your hopes and your dreams, your fears, your anxieties, and your thoughts on him. Cling to him. You will find peace there. You will find joy there. You will find freedom there. Even if your circumstances don't change a lick, your kids are disobedient. Trust in Jesus. Your job is melting down. Trust in Jesus. Your marriage is falling apart. Trust in Jesus. Your friends are rejecting you. Trust in Jesus. Focus on him. He will transform you. He will transform you. He will bring you through. That's the answer. If you have a half-hearted response to Jesus in your life, and you know if you do, you know if you do, half-hearted response to Jesus Christ. Listen to me. You have said, we've been so conditioned in church to say, I put Jesus first. Jesus is our first priority. Okay, good. 
That is so different from setting your mind, setting your heart on Jesus as the center of everything you do and everything you know and every relationship and everything. That is so different. Have you done that? That's what the scripture is calling us to. Not that people that say, well, yeah, I put him first. Have you put him center? Have you focused your heart and focused your mind in everything at all times on him? That's what we're talking about. If we have a half-hearted response to Jesus Christ, it may be because our Jesus is too small. All of life is about Jesus. All about him. Come to Jesus. Worship Jesus. Love Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Serve Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Live in Jesus. Follow Jesus. Repent to Jesus. Be cleansed by Jesus. Be strengthened by Jesus. Be set free by Jesus. Be protected by Jesus. Be provided for by Jesus. Be comforted and inspired by Jesus. Be filled with Jesus. Be changed by Jesus. Be obsessed with Jesus. Find hope in Jesus Find life in Jesus. That is the life that is focused. That is the mind that is set. That is the heart that is set on things that are above, that lays out in the glory of the sun that shines from his face. He's the answer. He's the answer. Then and only then will you and I become the men, the women, the husbands, the wives, the parents, the workers, the students, the missionaries that we're called to be. Only then. Only then. How often do you focus on Jesus like that? The um, sin that all of us, me included, have committed. It's not, it's not enjoying him as much as we ought. And what I mean by that is coming out into the light of his presence and basking in the countenance of his face, which is like the sun burning at full strength, not to burn you up, but to burn within you, to give you hope and life and purpose and freedom and joy, to not set our minds on things above. We have not done that. We have not fully done that at all times, at all ways. And he's calling to us, pleading to us, let me do that. Do that. Everyone in this room, me included, has a Jesus that is too small. That is too small. Than the one that is, than the one that John tried through the Holy Spirit to describe. It is impossible to overstate or even imagine his greatness, his glory, his beauty, his might without getting a brain hemorrhage. It will take us an eternity to absorb that. And that is exactly what he has offered us. An eternity in his presence to grow in our knowledge in and experience of him. And our enjoyment of him. You can enjoy Jesus, be filled by Jesus, focus on Jesus, and be transformed by Jesus in the midst of all the crap and junk in your life right here, right now. It's your choice. He's offering it. John saw it, fell on his face. I trust that because God's Spirit is here and God's Word is alive, that despite what I have said, He has spoken to your hearts and seduced you and wooed you to come fully into his presence. To see him as he truly is and to be changed. 
John fell on his face. We're going to look at verses 17 through 19 next week when Jesus puts his hand on John and he says something to him and to us that you're not going to believe. It's so good. It's so good. But until then, let me ask you, have we in our hearts the same response that John did? I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. Or are we wearing sunblock? Are we wearing sunblock? Well, I'll wait. This isn't the time for me to engage with God that way. No. I'm wearing sunblock. I'm cynical. This, you know, this isn't realistic still focused on the things of this world. I'm not going to allow my heart, my mind to be captured by the things of heaven, by the person of character and love of Jesus Christ. I've already arrived. I'm already there. I've already given my heart to Jesus. I've already been surrendered to him. What this is talking about is full experience of the fullness of God. I am not proud and bold enough to say I'm there yet. The Apostle Paul says, not that I've already achieved it, but I press on. I'm walking more fully into it. I want to take off the sunblock and lay out more. That's what our lives need. That's what our God provides. We're either going to respond as John and be laid out in all wonder and awe of who he is and who he wants to be in and through us and for us. But we're going to keep putting on sunblock pages ahead, the days ahead, the life ahead is contingent upon whether or not we see and experience Jesus as he truly is, or we ignore him or serve a Jesus that is too small. Ball's in your court. Ball's in mine. He's here. What are you going to do? Let's pray. God, you are good. Nothing that I pray, nothing that I say can capture your majesty, can capture your glory, your incredible love, your holiness, your mercy, your desire to bring us into life, into your arms. Nothing. But Lord, you reveal yourself. That's the purpose of this whole book, that you would be revealed to us and in us. And Lord, the best way we know how, believer and one who is far from Jesus Christ, the best we can do, Lord, is say, reveal yourself to our hearts. Lord, let your countenance, may your face that shines like the full strength of the sun. Lord, I want to be basking in it. I want to enjoy that. I want to absorb that. I want to be swallowed up in that now and every moment of every day because you are the all in all. And without you, I have nothing of nothing. Thank you. Lord, we open our hearts to you so that we might fall on our face at your feet 
find life. In Jesus' name, amen.